0: This is Take Notes with Jen Rafferty, where we move music education in new directions. I'm your host, Jen Rafferty, a music educator, author, and huge social science nerd, and I am so excited to go on this journey with you as we highlight the intersection between music education and the social sciences. Hello! Take Notes is back, and I had the pleasure of talking with Renee Duncan, who is a fantastic music educator in New York City, originally from Australia. And I met her at a conference, and while her content for the presentation was absolutely fantastic, I was interested in her dissertation topic, which had to do with incorporating pedagogy, theory, and methodologies from outside of the lens of music education into a well-rounded music education experience in the classroom. And I wanted to know more about her research because, it seemed to really align with the purpose of this podcast, because when we look at things outside of music education, it can inform better music teaching practices. I learned that when she initially studied music education in Australia, it was different from the way pre-service programs look like here in the United States. Her music education university experience consisted of conservatory study of music and then switching to the education program, which was taught separately from the content areas. So, in her time at Griffith University, there weren't any content specific courses, just simply classes about broad education content for general education, pedagogy, and theories. So, when she came to the United States to study at NYU, it was very different. And Renee saw that music and education were combined in all of her classes and found that the literature was even predominantly, if not entirely, pedagogy, methodology, and philosophy completely from a music-based paradigm. And it was really interesting to her that people identified so deeply with these music methodologies. I had heard of all these methodologies. I had studied
1: these methodologies as part of larger classes, but I had no idea how seriously the Kodai, ORF, Dalcroze, Gordon, Fireoband, you know, it was very interesting to me that there were people, so many people that were saying, oh, I'm a Kodai person. Like a lot of people would say when they were talking about that would be how they would describe it. Oh, I'm I'm an North person or I'm a Kodai person. Oh, I love Dalcroze. I just found found myself listening to people identify themselves
0: as teachers by methodologies And as Renee continued her coursework she started to notice something even more interesting.
1: I took this class and she presented us with it was like an overview of literature and a discussion and analysis and synthesis of a lot of adult learning, teaching resources. And I was going through every single one of these classes and thinking, oh, yeah, I recognize that I've read about that somewhere else or, oh, I've done that in my classroom. Or I was reading this book and it said I should do X, Y, Z in this sort of order. But isn't that exactly what this person here is saying? And so to me, it was like this light bulb that went on all of these things that I had been reading about in music texts, or I'd been learning about in music classes or anything like that all had origins that had nothing to do with music. And I had no idea. And it didn't even occur to me that I should have an idea that these things came from elsewhere. And because I was, when I was learning them from the source, I was able to pull them out of the context in which that particular author or that particular approach had kind of lumped it into. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, this thing is so cool. I don't just have to do it this way. I can do it this way and I can do it that way. And, you know, and even beyond all of the ideas it gave me for teaching, It gave me so many different ways to express what I wanted to do and to be able to communicate to others what was going through my head in a way that I wasn't able to before, particularly people
0: outside of music. And this is really important because when we think about communication, we often just think about the things that we're trying to say. But the truth is, Good communication only happens when the person who you're talking to actually understands what you have to say. So sometimes we need to expand our language and our vocabulary and our paradigm and our implicit bias about what we know and what we assume other people know and experience, because the truth is they don't. And what Renee discovered was a common language that she could share with the other teachers and administrators in her building. And I asked her if she can give an example. Well, the mo- I'll go for the
1: most, I f- in my opinion, I'll go for the most obvious one, which is Shulman's pedagogical content knowledge, which essentially says that in order to be a good teacher, you have to have knowledge of the content itself, music, and you have to have knowledge of the how to teach the pedagogy. And so that to me was the most obvious philosophy or framework, as you want to call it, that is everywhere in music textbooks but nobody has separated anything in music education there's a lot of people who have a really strong i'm generalizing there's a really strong emphasis on the content can you do xyz how do you sing in tune what's the correct progression of the syllables that's most natural to children singing you know etc etc insert your content area here But there's very little time dedicated to isolating pedagogy. So it kind of becomes all about the content and then this is what we want to do. This is our content. Okay, now we're going to think about how we're going to teach it. But because all of this time and energy has been dedicated to working out what we're going to teach and where the students are going to end up, there seems to be less literature, less attention, less time focused on well, how can I teach it? And when it gets to the how can I teach it, people, I'm again generalizing, the people that I've run into, their first port of call is to go to a music textbook. I need to teach this musical concept, therefore, I'm going to look at this musical resource over here and that's going to tell me the way to do it. And then some teachers may say, okay, I'm going to look at six different music textbooks or I'm going to speak to six different colleagues or look at six different Facebook groups, whatever it is. I'm going to see what everyone else has done and then I'm going to try it, trial and error, any of these six ways. But to actually look at the content and say, okay, this is what I want to teach my students. Let's forget about music. If I'm trying to teach a student how to play alternating mallets on a xylophone, what does... Physical coordination research tell me about the best way to teach a child how to separate the movement. What is happening in their brain cognitively that enables them to actually move the mallets? So before you can even get to, okay, I want a child to be able to play D, 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 it's not about D, 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 D. It's about the physical, how do they, what's happening to even have them pick up and hold a mallet and to move it. And then if you have, which doesn't seem so dramatic when you're only teaching D, 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 but when you're trying to teach those skills and you're a year down the track and all of a sudden students can't coordinate changing notes at the same time as changing their hands, music repertoire and percussion repertoire and literature will tell you all of the approaches they can use in music. But as an educator, what if you know cognitively they're having to read the music they're having to process the sound they're having to shift their visual eyes from the music to the instrument they're having to move their hands from one place to another one space to another and they're having to do it in a rhythm at a specific time and that's just to change between two notes so how many you know how many people actually separate out all of those processes and then furthermore separate them out to notice okay well this set is visual this set is auditory and then you know, if you look at all the literature, I'm not saying any teacher should spend all this time looking at all this devoted literature. Um, but if you look at the literature, there's ten thousand different ways that people have decided to tackle these things that have nothing to do with music. But by having an understanding, even a broad understanding of that, a music teacher has opened themselves up to a thousand more ways that they could tackle the very same issue.
0: After digesting this a bit, I wanted to take a step back and look at the irony here. As educators, we know that content knowledge does not exist in silos, yet this is exactly how we learn in our pre-service programs, and it's perpetuated then after we get out into the field. So interesting, right? But now what? There's so much information and we don't know what we don't know. So it can be really overwhelming just thinking about where to look. So I asked Renee, where should we look?
1: I think it straight away in my mind, there's three things that popped in my brain. The first is what are your colleagues in other departments wondering about or struggling with or learning about? You know, uh, for example, you know, is your school doing a massive diversity, equity, inclusion push? What can you know? That's the one that a lot of schools are doing right now. So you hear about that in the hallways, you know, the whatever, and the school will probably supply you with a book to read, or your department will say, Go read these music books. But if you're going to read, I would say, a book music specific, I think it's a great way to start. But once you read that music specific book, look at the references. Odds are, if that author has been included in a music book, they're probably pretty big because. That tends to happen. They tend to only reference the pretty big scholars. So that's one way to start. Another way to start is instead of going to a music book in the first place, go to Google and type in, okay, diversity, equity, inclusion books. Who's the most common coming up? What are the most recent ones that have come out? You'll always get the best sellers. You'll always get the ones that everybody are reading. And that tells you pretty quickly with 15 seconds of your
0: time that these books are a great place to start. And after that initial response, Renee paused and had trouble coming up with more ways teachers can easily access this type of information.
1: And at the end of the day, I think this is the, the question that you asked and the fact that I'm having so much trouble answering it is a, is the problem. The fact that the only way I think this stuff is accessible is if you think to look for it, if you know where to look, if you know who to ask, if you have the time to ask. And a lot of us don't. Like, I didn't even encounter this until I happened to be. You think about my experience. My experiences were pretty random to end up to that point. So I think the fact that I'm even struggling to articulate beyond those very boring, academic, traditional, definitely not accessible ways of doing it speaks to a, the problem in itself. How do we find those things? I just think it's really interesting to see what other people are doing and I think that sometimes there's this attitude of the arts academia and never the twain shall meet and I I know that in my experience a lot of music educators feel like they're on the the very down end of that where the academia is up here And music is down here. And I think that also breeds the opposite resentment where I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunity for music educators because the last thing that they sometimes want to do is go visit those other subjects that they're frequently marginalised by and to admit that there is some value in research literature that centres around subjects. And that's the other thing. Just because you're going to look at literature or information about developmental cognition of a child doesn't mean that you're saying music is less important it doesn't mean that you're prioritizing that it's you're better informing yourself to better inform your students we all know how to be musicians we know how to teach music we know all about music all it is is just adding just
0: adding a little sugar to the
1: coffee
0: i sure do love that analogy And when we know more about theories, methodologies, and pedagogies outside of our content area, the better we are able to teach because we can become more well-rounded educators. And in addition, we can then develop a common language between music and the other subject areas in school. And I have to mention here how important this truly is. I mean, how often do you find yourself advocating for your program or methodology in which you know is steeped in tried-and-true music education pedagogy and theory, only to be confronted by other teachers or administrators that they just don't get it. But what if you were able to not only have more tools to help the students learn, but have a common language amongst other teachers and administrators to advocate for those methodologies, pedagogies, and theories in a way that they will understand? So this struck a chord with Renee, and yes, pun very much intended, and this was part of her dissertation work, so we got to play around a little bit with common language and how this seems to play out in everyday life.
1: My dissertation focused on a framework called Schwab's Common Places, which was using, talking about the teacher, the student, the subject matter, and the context. Joseph Schwab was a science teacher, and he was fed up with the fact that teachers had focused on subject matter too long rather than focusing on the importance of actually teaching it. So he believed that you had to get to know your students first before you could really start teaching
0: them effectively. So in focusing on teachers, students, subject matter, and context – we begin to realize that there's a lot of room for different perspectives for each one.
1: four things that seem really straightforward, you know, if I'm talking about a student, I'm talking about a student, whatever it may be. But the more that I dug into them in classes and in my research, the more I realized how many different ways they can be interpreted and how many different ways you can look at a simple word or a simple perspective and actually incorporate it into your classroom is insane so do you think I'm gonna ask you you're gonna play with me in this one we're gonna do sure. it and you can play with me context what when I if I say music and the context what comes to your mind immediately
0: um relevance and connection connection to to outside knowledge and what is outside knowledge to you for me personally um
1: my life experience. Your life experience, what does that encompass for you?
0: Everything from my identity to the place in the world that I feel like I exist in to what I ate for lunch, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: questions okay <laughs> I know I'm asking that okay so now let's play the other way ask me the same point que- I'm not going to answer from my perspective I'm going to answer deliberately answer from a different perspective ask okay. me the questions I just as best you can remember
0: okay so when I say the word context what are was the first thing you think of music its place in history
1: what does that mean to you so the the progression of music throughout the times, you know, each sort of music that we listen to has its very specific context, in terms of history, in terms of politics, in terms of developmental of the world, of technology. And there was a third question in there too: like, what does that entail? So that entails being able to understand how the music was created, with what resources from around it was created, and also what were the impact of circumstances at the time that had upon the creation of that music performances as well as the composition so suddenly we've got two completely opposing utterly opposing ways of looking at music and context right so you gave the perspective of a very well educated person who is very well aware I believe from your answer like I've asked that question you are the only person I've ever asked that question to that hit the nail so close so right like it's so so right on the head and I mean right on the head in terms of the literal meaning of context in that framework in this one framework mind you so this is just one but in the terms of this that's exactly what context means but to a lot of other people it could mean exactly what I just said it could mean the context of their school it could mean the context of themselves of their family not all the students So you can take that context lens and you can split it into a thousand different directions and every single person is going to interpret that differently. So as a teacher, when you think about that, you're thinking about, facades. even if you just think about your perspective, you're thinking about something you've never thought about before. And then all you need is someone to say devil's advocate and present something completely different. And all of a sudden, well, you're in a classroom and what if a student says something different? If you take that on board and you think about it, you can look at it in another way. So if you're having a discussion with your colleagues and they're they're talking about, you know, why is music important? You know, what are they learning in music and how is it relevant? If you have that word context and you can actually explicitly state to them, this is the context of what we're studying right now in relation to my students, in relation to your curriculum, in relation to the school administration, in relation to the community, whatever, You have a common language to address it with almost everybody. And you also have a a way, an entry point for every single student and their preferences or their thoughts in your classroom. And if you don't know that walking into the classroom, your student is going to give it to you.
0: Acknowledging this takes an incredible amount of self-reflection and non-judgment, and this is when your ego gets to take its place at the door so you can enter these situations with an open mind and open heart, knowing full well that you might be wrong or someone else might also be right. Because in this example of the word context, it's really just about perspective
1: you have to be open to the fact that your way may not be the only way.
0: If you could enter the classroom from you know a million different
1: perspectives of the subject matter, if you're just thinking about the content and directing all of your learning through the content, what do students need to know? How do they need to know it? How do they need to apply it? What other information do they need to be able to understand that subject matter? Then from the teacher perspective, as the teacher, what's my lens? What do I think is important? Why do I think that this genre of music is best? from the student perspective, well, what does the student want to learn? What do they care about? What do they think about? You're probably starting to notice some overlap. You don't have to just enter the classroom from the teacher, the context, the subject matter, and the student. You could enter from between the student and the subject matter. If you are in between two commonplaces, I'll go with student perspective and context. The student perspective and what they want to learn. So say, for example, a student, oh, my gosh, I love K-pop. I want to learn K-pop. That is my ultimate music goal. I want to listen to K-pop. I want to understand Korean. I want to be able to actually, you know, sing it. I want to be able to do the dance moves. I just want to do K-pop. And so the teacher goes, okay, that's the student's perspective. Interesting. Um, As the teacher, they could say, well, we can do K-pop in the context of the school and the curriculum that I've set and all of a sudden we're doing k-pop my way so we're kind of in the middle of the two but they could also be why why does this student want to learn k-pop what is it about this student that's making them want to learn k-pop do they want to perform is there a talent show outside of school is there a community event are there friends in a k-pop group and they want to do it so if so, do I really, what about that do I need to teach them? So again, you've kind of gone between a context and the student's perspective. Um, so you can kind of tick that dial as far as you want. And the idea of the commonplaces is the perfect teacher, which nobody is. But the general idea is that throughout a year and a curriculum and an instruction, that you should be teaching all four perspectives and you should be sitting right in the middle of that So it almost looks like a compass if you want to map it out. You should be sitting right in the middle. You should have a little bit of everything in order to make you the most effective teacher, which is similar to what Shulman says in the Pedagogical Content Knowledge. They all say the same thing. They all just say it in a different way. And I don't necessarily think that this, to me, the commonplaces are not a framework somebody should teach by at any means. That's not the way I interpret them. I use them as a method of people, of teachers, being able to understand what their current teaching perspective is, to be able to break it down, to be able to isolate what they're teaching, why they're teaching it and how they're teaching it. And then for it to make them understand, okay, I really lean heavily towards this side of the diagram What does that mean? What messages am I sending to the kids? What am I actually doing? Is it the best way I could do it? Is it the most appropriate way that I could do it? And the answer may be yes. But just by understanding and being able to articulate My perspective as a teacher is in my classroom, the most important thing to my my teaching and my subject matter and the way I deliver everything is the context. I am so much more interested in making sure everything I teach is applicable to my students. They care about it. They use it in their community, that they're able to actually embody what I teach in everyday life and then you go 20 miles down the road to another teacher who may say look i'm a kodai teacher i'm sorry but i really am only interested in te- making sure that my kids can sing tunefully and they understand the ladder they can do their hand signs and they can perform at the concert you know this particular folk song they can you know and so on and so forth so complete that's is that what perspective is that that's their perspective that's what they think is important they're not really interested in what the, the students are saying they're not interested In music, they're interested in their opinion. So even though it is subject matter they're talking about, they're not saying it's important for students to learn how to sing tunefully because they can understand how to use tars and tartis and they can understand pitch and everything like that. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they say, I believe this is this and this. It's them. It's their mindset that's telling them that way. And just by being aware of that, they can either communicate that to whoever they want, but it enables them to be thoughtful practitioners, reflective practitioners. And then, you know, if they suddenly realize, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. That's, that's not, I, I think I want to try something else. That also, that diagram also gives them a bit of a starting point to think, okay, well, if I don't want to deviate too far from my thing, what do the kids actually think of this singing thing? What do they like about this Kodai thing? What do they not like about this Kodai thing? You know, how can I make this Kodai thing more relevant to them? You know, are there Kodai patterns in pop music? Are there Kodai patterns in Indian folk music? You know, whatever it is that these children experience music, then all of a sudden they're drawing it down towards the context.
0: The big takeaways from my conversation with Renee are about reflection and expansion. In order to know where to be expansive in our approaches, we need to really reflect about where we are by honestly looking in the mirror. And then and only then we can seek out the resources that we actually need to continue on our journey of learning and growing as professionals. If you'd like to learn more about Renee and her work, you can reach her at rduncan at and the link is in the podcast notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to leave a good review and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Jen Rafferty. Have a wonderful day. This podcast was brought to you by Jen Rafferty Music, cover art by Molly Reagan and Good Neighbor Art, and music by John Kiefner.